And uh, if you're not familiar with them, they, they provide uh, a service to individuals who have uh, physical disabilities, uh, maybe in a wheelchair, maybe, uh, maybe uh, someone with Down syndrome, uh, any number of little uh, limitations that they might have, and they get them on horses. They get them on horseback, and they go through an experience riding a horse in a, uh, uh, in a way that gives them some physical exercise, but really it gives them a feeling of accomplishment and a feeling of, uh, uh, that's a little hard to express, but watching some individuals be able to get on a horse, uh, and, and they have to obviously lift them onto the horses at times, but seeing individuals be able to do that is, uh, is, is so rewarding for them, and it's, it's very fulfilling to be able to see them do that. They have another set of clientele that are uh, veterans who have uh, more likely than not been diagnosed with uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. So they've come back from, from the wars and um, are having trouble dealing with things a little bit. And they have a slightly different program for them. And in fact, they let us go through a, a, a brief version of it. And it has to do with uh, understanding relationships between you and other things, understanding what's in you intrinsically, that is what God has built in you, and understanding that other people, other beings, see those things. And um, uh, there's, there's some action that's going to result from that. So I had the, the good fortune to go into a, a ring, it was about a 50-foot diameter ring uh, with another gentleman who was very well trained um, and ready to capture me in case I do something stupid. Uh, but in that ring with the two of us is an unbroken Mustang. Now I say unbroken, he's not wild, quite wild anymore, but when they got him he was wild. Uh, he's unbroken in that you really can't ride him, you can't get a saddle on him. He may get a, what do they call that, Karen, a halter or whatever the thing on his bridle, thank you, uh, on, on his head, but you're not going to get on him to ride. So we're standing in there, and he explains a couple of things, and um, uh, in just a moment, this Mustang is responding to me, um, seeing that I'm in a position of authority over it. That is, not letting myself become the one who is the follower, but taking the leadership role with a very few simple little hand gestures that get the horse moving in one way or another. And then stopping the horse, again, with just a gesture, a little change in my position, and turning my back on the horse. And the horse comes up to me and puts his nose on my back and just sort of nudges me a little bit and lets me know, okay, I'll accept you as a leader. I was almost in tears. I mean, such a, this is a beautiful animal, a big animal, five times my weight at least, and, and he's saying, yeah, it's okay for you to tell me what to do. I'm okay, I'm comfortable with that. So we did a few more things, but um, uh, but, I, but I grew a little bit in that. I don't think the horse grew, but uh, 
But I, but I grew a little bit in that. I learned some things. Uh, clearly, none of us are perfect yet. We're, we're not there. Um, but what Paul was telling us here is we have to put the past behind us, forget about those things, push those things away and push forward, go forward, move on. And the internet is, is ripe with all these little, little things that you can look up and, and find out all these famously successful people who really messed up or really had difficulty getting things started. Uh, Henry Ford was one of them, had a lot of problems in his early attempts, um, five times he failed, he went broke five times, tried to start a business five times, went broke five times, but he didn't stop. He forgot what was behind except what he learned. He learned something, he learned about a mistake and he moved forward. Walt Disney, I love this. Um, he, was, he was fired by a newspaper editor because he lacked imagination and had no good ideas. Can you imagine that? I would have loved to have gone to that man's funeral. Uh, Albert Einstein says he didn't speak until he was four years old, and he didn't read until he was seven. He, in fact, was expelled from school and re was refused admittance to Zurich Polytechnic School. But he kind of overcame that and went on to do some, some pretty amazing stuff that, boy, I'll never understand. Uh, Thomas Edison, we know that story. Um, when he was young, his teachers said that he was too stupid to learn anything. And in fact, he was fired from his first two jobs for not being productive enough. Not being productive. Can you imagine Thomas Edison not being productive enough? Have you ever seen his, his laboratory and some of the things that, uh, that he did, all the amazing stuff he did? Uh, Abraham Lincoln. Uh, and when he was young, he went into the military as a captain, and he came back as a private. Now, that's not normally the way things work. <laughs> captain is up here, private is, you know, kind of entry-level stuff. So he didn't quite have it going the right way. Um, he had several failed business attempts, and, um, and obviously he was defeated a number of times trying to be elected for public office before he was elected president. Uh, Vincent Van Gogh, my daughter's an artist so I have to get an artist in here. Um, Vincent was a little strange, a little odd anyway, but during his lifetime, he sold one painting for a small amount of money to a friend who was being kind to him and bought the painting from him. He had a total of about 800 works of art that sell for millions of dollars now, millions of dollars for these things. Um, Theodore Seuss, Geisel, or Geisel, Dr. Seuss, yep. 27 publishers said, nope, this book doesn't make sense to me. Well, no, it doesn't. <laughs> Dr. Seuss books don't make sense, but yes, indeed, he was successful. Another cartoonist person, Charles Schultz, uh, the Peanuts characters. Uh, he was rejected by his high school yearbook staff. Not only that, but he tried to get a job at Disney and was not accepted there. Uh, again, not creative imaginative enough. I, I wouldn't want to have been that hiring manager that missed that opportunity. There's one more that, uh, if I can find it here. 
Oh, there it is, two more. Um, a little back further in time, Julius Caesar, I said that he was afraid of thunder. I mean, deathly afraid of thunder. Couldn't stand that, but in his time, he, was, he conquered the world, as, as they would put it. And then Peter the Great of Russia, similar kind of, uh, kind of uh, situation, but they said that when he came to a bridge, he would cry his eyes out, cry like a baby, just didn't want to go over a bridge, just that fear, but overcame those things somehow or another. So we can't lean on past failures to dictate how we're going to go forward. But neither can we lean on past successes. Every day is anew. We have learned something, but if you're in sales, uh, the question is always, that's nice, that's great, but what have you done for me lately? Right? What, what's, what's going on right now? Uh, Jesse Owens, if you remember that name, he set his first world record in junior high school. Uh, in college, he set three world records in less than an hour. And then he went on to the 1936 Olympics in Nazi Germany. And as Hitler watched, it was very embarrassing for Adolf. Uh, he set three more world records and won four gold medals. So losing to an American was really bad for, for Adolf. Losing to a black American was something he couldn't take and he, he had to leave. The instinct though to, uh, to understand how we can deal with past successes and past failures as learning opportunities, but not judging me today, not what I can do today, but preparing me for today, again, is what Paul was talking about. I love this old Irish proverb, too, that says, um, you've got to do your own growing, uh, no matter how tall your grandfather was. All right? Doesn't make any difference how tall grandpa was. You're still going to grow on your own. And growing hurts, sometimes. Sometimes it's encouraging, but sometimes growing hurts a little bit. Has anybody experienced that? Yeah, a little bit, yeah, yeah that, that comes on us. We talked about a couple of people that had fear in their lives and, and managed to overcome it. We experience physical pain, we experience uh, sickness, um, that, uh, that excitement, uh, my, my grandson, Lucas, uh, lost his first tooth today. And um, there's a little bit of excitement about that, but there's that little bit of fear that he probably would have lost it a week ago if he hadn't kind of, you know, you kind of shuck it in and hold it there because you're not exactly sure this feels funny. What am I going to do about that? That little bit of pain, not sure exactly what to do. Sorrow and grief help mold us, help us to grow, teach us things, teach us direction. Why did Lazarus have to get sick and die? Why did Mary and Martha have to grieve that death? Why did they have to go through that? 
I have far too many papers here. Let's go to the Gospel of John, chapter 11. We'll bounce around in there a little bit. John 11, 1. Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. So Jesus had an answer right away. I don't think they were quite listening to that answer, but, but he had an answer. So verse 6, Now when they heard therefore that he, that he was sick, he abode there, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that saith he to his disciples, Let us go into Judea again. So finally, let's, let's go there. Verse 11, then, he, then these things said he, And after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Verse 14, then Jesus said, Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Lazarus is dead. Drop down to verse 32. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Now, I don't think she was so much blaming God as she was expressing faith. But... Um, in verse 7, and some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? So there was great faith there that, oh, if he had just been here, if he had just been here, he could have healed him, kept him from dying. So at verse 39, Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha the sister, Martha, the sister of him that was dead saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh for he hath been dead four days. Verse 43. And when thus he had spoken, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave cloths. And his faith, face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto, him, unto them, loose him and let him go. Now Why? Well, Jesus had explained it a little earlier, but he emphasized it here in verse 42. And I knew that thou hearest me always in his prayer. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. I'm here for a purpose. I'm here for a reason. Jesus didn't need the growing. The people needed the growing, right? They needed to experience some things to grow. They experienced the death of their brother, their friend. They went through the grief. They went through the desperation. They went through the confusion of not knowing why Jesus, who could have been there, didn't show up in time. But they learned. And they grew a little bit more. Now, Jesus had healed before. And... Um, 
Sometimes he did things one way. Sometimes he gave the same kind of healing, but in another way. Uh, let, let's look at the Gospel of Mark. Uh, verse 1. Or ch I'm sorry, chapter 1. Mark chapter 1 and verse 40. Mark chapter 1 verse 40. And there came a leper to him, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand, and touched him, and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he was cleansed. And he straightly charged him, and forthwith sent him away. I like that. I have leprosy. I'm sick. Lord, I know you can heal me. Bam, he heals him. That's great. That's fantastic. Look at, uh, let's go back to Luke, chapter 17, and uh, verse 12. Another situation, and as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourselves unto the priest. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. So there was a slightly different situation. They had to go do something. They were instructed Okay, the first guy, I have leprosy, I'm healed. This group of 10, we have leprosy, go take a walk. Slightly different, same result, but slightly different. Jesus healed blind eyes in different ways. He, he had a situation in Matthew where um, uh, he healed them just by touching them. He had a situation where he spit into the eyes or spit, put spit in the eyes and, and touch them and they were healed. And then another time where he put some clay on the eyes and had them wash the clay out and the eyes were healed. Um, you, know, you know, that mud in the eye kind of approach to life is sometimes what people put themselves in. You know, it's like, oh, I, I came for one thing and I got mud in my eye. You know, this was not exactly what I was looking for. Um, but have faith, continue on. Jesus is healing. This approach is a little different. That's part of our growing process. The situation I'm going through is different than your situation. Where I am in life is different than where you are in life. Um, I remember the words of, of, a, of a great elder and, and mentor of mine uh, related to a few people in this room. And um, he had heart problems for many years. And he said over and over and over and over again, I have faith that God will heal me. And even if he doesn't, I have faith that God will heal me. That was, that was Brother Jack Wilson, John and Jackie's dad. Sister Shirley's husband. So sometimes, though, we ask for one thing, we get another. We have to be a little careful what we're asking for, too. There's this little, little uh, poem. I asked for strength, and God gave me difficulties to make me strong. 
I asked for wisdom, and God gave me problems to solve. I asked for prosperity, and God gave me brain and brawn to work. I asked for courage, and God gave me dangers to overcome. I asked for love, and God gave me troubled people to help. I asked for favors, and God gave me opportunities. I received nothing I wanted. I received everything I needed. So our prayers are going to be answered. They're going to be answered in the way that is best for our situation as God knows it. Much better than us. That old, uh, that old saying of, God, I want patience and I want it right now. You know, Pray for patience. You're going to have an opportunity to deal with patience, to learn patience. Sometimes um, uh, in this growing process, again, I mentioned it before, there's fear that gets in our way. And um, sometimes it's because we haven't been in that, in that situation before. We haven't been, had that experience before. We don't exactly know what to do. Uh, now, there's, there's guys in this room, and, and, and I know they, uh, I don't know if they played softball Monday night or not, but... but these guys know how to play softball. They, they know how to play. Sometimes certain parts of the body don't work quite the same as they used to and, and things snap and pop and um, it's a little more interesting than it once was. But, but uh, you know, that's, that's not something that uh, uh, another group of us ever really spent a lot of time doing and, and we'd look a little silly out there trying to do what they're doing. That's a, that's a fear thing. Yeah. I remember when I was in, uh, it would have been the eighth grade, and I had gone to a, a parochial school the first seven years, and we moved, and I had to go to a public school. And for the first time, I had a physical education course in a gym. And it was one of those things back in, uh, uh, in the time when we had the President's Award for Physical Fitness, and you had to do a certain number of things. Dave, you remember that. It was, was it uh, Jack Kennedy, I think, was the one that started that whole thing? And um, uh, there's this rope going from you know, about, about this far off the floor up to the ceiling of the gymnasium. And I was maybe, I don't know, 35, 40 pounds you know, <laughs> at the time in the eighth grade, and I'm seeing all these guys around me that are, you know, they've been doing this all their lives, and they're going up to this thing and just zoom right up to the top, and it's like, okay. I was real good buddies with a uh, rather um, circular individual. I, I don't know exactly how to, how to describe it. And fortunately, he was right before me. And he got over there, and he got up off of the ground, and that's as far as he got, was just up off of the ground. And uh, he knew, he had, he had tried it, he had no upper body strength at all, and he just, he knew he wasn't going to do it. And, but uh, the coach said, yeah, you got to try, got to go in there and do it, got to try. And so just shy of fainting, it's my turn. <laughs> but I had the good fortune of only weighing about 40 pounds or so. And uh, so I went over and just 
I was scared to death and I went right up to the top and then I got there and I had no idea what to do now. What do I do? You know, I hadn't paid attention to how to get down, so they had to sort of describe to me how to use my feet to hold the rope and all of that. I was really scared for no reason, only because I hadn't been there before, I hadn't done it, didn't have the experience. So we have a great crutch to lean on. We have a fantastic crutch that we can go to in this Bible. And, you know, maybe yours isn't one that looks like this. Maybe yours is electronic and responds to your beck and call. But um, there are quite a few fear fighters, we'll call them, uh, in the Word of God. And let's, uh, let's look back in the Gospel of John, chapter 14. These are, these are verses that I find great strength in in fearful times. John 14, 18. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Wow. I will not leave. That's our promise. Amen. That's our promise. Look at verse 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I said unto you. Wow. At the right time, God's going to give you that little scripture, that little insight to help that person that you really want to love that needs your help right now. He's going to do that. Verse 27. Wow. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Wow, what comfort. Let's go to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. Uh, 2 Timothy 1.7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear. That's not God that's putting that fear in us. Okay, that's, that's, that's the adversary that's putting that fear in us. God hasn't given us that spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That's the, that's the promise. We don't have to be fearful. But when we are, grab some of these fear fighters. Your, your verses of scripture may be different than mine. That's okay. Again, we're all different. We're at different walks, at different places in our walk with God. We're at different points in our life. The, the scriptures that meant nothing to me as a teenager mean a lot to me now. And there's some that, uh, you know, I've read through this thing a number of times, quite a few times, and I never saw that before. Never saw that verse before. How did that get in there? When did you put that in there, Jesus? Now, I know you, you, is this still my Bible? Is this the one I've been carrying around? And, and sometimes I like to read uh, other translations. And, um, and some people get on to me for that. You know, it says, oh, well, you know, you, it's confusing and all that. Well, if it's confusing, then why do we have somebody come up here, read one verse of Scripture, and then talk for a half hour about that one verse of Scripture? I mean, they're, they're taking those words and explaining what those words mean. And I look at it that way. I look at uh, reading another translation as, okay, here's somebody else talking. And they've read it one way, and now they're going to talk a different way and, and use words that 
may help one person understand a little bit better than another person. Trust God. That's an important thing. Trust God. Regardless of the circumstances, trust God. Um, I, like, I like when the apostles were afraid. Um, and let's, let's go back to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14. Pay no attention to that rain outside. We're inside. God is good. But if you see a guy building a boat... Matthew chapter 14, verse 15. And when it was evening, his disciples came to him and saying, This is a desert place, and the time is now past. Send the multitude away, that they may go to the villages and buy themselves victuals. Get, get them some grub. Go to McDonald's, whatever. Um, they were afraid. They had a crowd, hungry people. Don't, don't get at the end of the roadway here on Sunday morning, uh, right after Sunday school, and, and get in the way of some of us as we're leaving. Um, you know, you, you don't want to be the speed bump in front of an apostolic going to lunch. That's not, a, that's not a good place to be. And they knew that. They were apostles. They were apostolic, right? Uh, these people are hungry. What are we going to do? Um, but Jesus said unto them, they need not depart. Give them to eat. There you go. Problem solved. Get them something to eat. Wait a minute. And they said unto him, okay, we have here but five loaves and two fishes. He said, bring them hither to me. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass, and he took the five loaves and the two fishes, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and break and gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. So he gave them something to do. He told them what to do. He blessed them. He took care of the important part. He took care of the miracle, right? He involved them, though. He put them in the place that they needed to be. And that's our role, to be in the place where we need to be. And I, I, like, I like verse um, um, 20. And they did all eat and were filled, and they took up the fragments that remained 12 baskets full. How many apostles were there? The 12 apostles were there. He, I, I think it was a point he was making to them. I don't think it was just, oh, well, there's 12, we got 12 of them. It's like, okay, each one of you think about this for a minute. You know, you were, you were scared, you were worried that we had just a little bit, but I gave you something that was enough to satisfy the crowd. Trust God. Get rid of the fear. Um, growing, um, and, and talking about fear, growing is, um, uh, sometimes involves loneliness, and that can be a big a big item of fear, a big element of fear for a lot of people, loneliness, uh, especially those of us that are aging. Um, if you don't have family or if the family is not able to be with you all the time and you don't drive anymore and um, that, that can be a fearful thing, but being a teenager and being lonely can be a real fearful thing as well. Being lonely at any age can be a fearful thing. 
And, and sometimes we're tempted to conform um, in order to be accepted so that we kind of get rid of that loneliness. I like, um, I like a quote, though, from Mark Twain. Um, he said, it's easier to stay out than to get out. It's easier to stay out than to get out, right? Put that fence in the way and say, no, I'm, I'm not going to go there. 2 Corinthians 6, 17. I'm probably driving Joey nuts back there. I didn't give him any list of scriptures. 2 Corinthians. And my fingers are not working well. Joey, you got that up there? There you go. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Be separate. Be disconnected from the things that are not clean. But that means loneliness. Go back to those fear fighters. Grab one of those. There's a, uh, I, I've mentioned this before when I've come up here, I, my old friend Greg Hansen got me hooked on a, uh, on a little daily newsletter-ish kind of a thing from a, a rabbi. And uh, one time he wrote, hate evil acts of the wicked, but do not hate the people themselves. Every person is worthy of being cherished by virtue of being created in the image of the Almighty. Therefore, we cannot hate another person. Rather, our love for the Almighty should be so deeply internalized that from this love we hate evil deeds. By hating only evil actions, we elevate ourselves because we're increasing our love for God. Actually, Rabbi said Almighty because Rabbi doesn't say God. So being separate doesn't mean hating people. It means hating sometimes what they do, if that is not what God wants us to be doing. Um, and if, if we want to lead people to Christ, we have to, we have to look a little bit more like him in the things that we do, the actions that we take. Uh, Sister Tierney probably has heard this before. If, um, if you want to lead the orchestra, you have to turn your back on the crowd. Right? So you have to be focused on the right things and not worry about what the crowd thinks. So to grow, uh, sometimes we have to change our environment. I think that's what Paul is trying to tell us in Corinthians. Um, we were talking about um, SeaWorld a little while ago. And uh, sharks, when they have sharks in captivity, uh, sharks will only grow to a certain size based on the tank that they're in. You put them in a bigger tank, they'll continue to grow. If you keep them in that smaller tank, they'll kind of stay that size. Um, so growing for a shark means changing your environment. If they're out in the open, they'll just grow until they run out of room. Uh, up, upwards of 20 feet. Boy, it's raining outside. Can you hear that? Okay, praise God. So to grow, change your environment. Don't change your environment right now. The environment is coming down on us, so just stay inside for a while. 
Walk with those that call you to a higher ground, a higher place. Um, that's what they're there for. Talk to one another. Talk about what God has done in your life, how God has blessed you, uh, how God has blessed someone in your family, what you've heard, those, those great things that God has done in, in people's lives, and share those great things that God has done for you with others. And if, you, uh, if, if you're like, like me, and I know like John, Brother John over there, uh, sometimes we end up singing a lot. Yeah. Uh, John still sounds great. My voice has really just decided to uh, retire a few years early. Uh, Psalm 34, though, when I'm in the car, it is uh, Carnegie Hall. Psalm 34, verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name forever together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. How did we get delivered from fears? Seeking the Lord. Get closer to him and the fear melts. They looked upon him and were lightened and their faces were not ashamed. So to grow. Sometimes that means accepting personal responsibility. And that's fearful. That's fearful. I'm responsible for an 11-month-old baby at my advanced years, Brother Brian. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I'm sure there was some fear in that excitement and some fear. Wow, it's been a while since we did this. This is... Uh, this is a challenge. Uh, so some of us with a little more mileage will often say, you know, that's it. Too, too late for me. I, I can't change. You know, I, old people don't like change. We like things, you know, just the way they are. And uh, sometimes we will say, well, you know, that's, I've been doing this for years. God's just going to have to forgive me. Well, wait a minute. You know, that's, yes, he will, but um, my goodness. Let's, let's focus on what can be. You know, we may, yeah, we should have changed our behavior 40 years ago, and okay, shame on us for not doing that, but it's not too late to change our behavior. It's not too late to change, except personal responsibility. Um, if you remember the Boston Celtics in the, uh, in the 50s and 60s, uh, there was this player, it became player coach, name of uh, Bill Russell, and he had a he had a kind of a just sort of, okay, here's my attitude. This is the game scheduled. We have to play it, so we might as well win. Just a simple, simple statement. You know, the game is scheduled. We're going to go play the game. We might as well win. Why not do what we have to do? Why not change to what we have to, in the way we have to change to win the game? But as I mentioned earlier, this prevention thing, this Mark Twain, it's easier to stay out than it is to get out. Um, that drew me back to a, a poem from, uh, uh, from my, my younger years. And um, actually, uh, an old friend, I'll call him, uh, named John Denver, used to, uh, 
used to uh, far out. He used to uh, he used to recite this poem, and and he did it much better than I will. But I I I really like this, and um, it really puts me in my place every now and then. And it's called uh, the ambulance down in the valley. Twas a dangerous cliff, as they freely confessed, though to walk near its edge was so pleasant. But over his, its edge had slipped a duke, and it fooled many a peasant. The people said something would have to be done, but their projects did not at all tally. Some said, put a fence around the edge of the cliff. Others, an ambulance down in the valley. The lament of the crowd was profound and loud as their hearts overflowed with pity. But the ambulance carried the cry of the day as it spread to the neighboring cities. So a collection was made to accumulate aid and dwellers in highway and alley gave dollars and cents not to furnish a fence, but an ambulance down in the valley. For the cliff is all right if you're careful, they said. And if folks ever slip and are falling, it's not the slipping and falling that hurts them so much as the shock down below when they're stopping. And so for years as these mishaps occurred, quick forth would the rescuers sally to pick up the victims who fell with, from the cliff with the ambulance down in the valley. Said one in his plea, it's a marvel to me that you give so much greater attention to repairing results than to curing the cause why you'd much better aim at prevention. For the mischief, of course, should be stopped at its source. Come friends and neighbors, let us rally. It makes far better sense to rely on a fence than an ambulance down in the valley. He's wrong in his head, the majority said. He would end all our earnest endeavors. He's the kind of a man who would shrink from his work, but we will support it forever. Aren't we picking up all just as fast as they fall and giving them care liberally Why a superfluous fence is of no consequence if the ambulance works in the valley? Now this story seems weird as I've given it here, but things oft occur which are stranger, more humane, we assert, to repair the hurt than the plan of removing the danger. The best possible course would be to safeguard the source and to attend to those things rationally. Yes, build up the fence and let us dispense with this ambulance down in the valley. Now, I'm not saying for a moment that God won't forgive us our sins. He does that every day. I'm sure that's a busy thing. You know, that's, that's top on his list, accepting our repentance, asking as we ask for our forgiveness for those silly things that, one more time, God, I'm sorry. You know, I really have to work on that. But the process of growing and accepting some personal responsibility, accepting a offense around some things that are bothersome for us, and the thing that's bothersome, you would be surprised what bothers me. I will not share that because John will tempt me with it. 
Um, and I would be surprised, I'm sure, at some things that may bother some of you. If we're walking in faith and if we're growing in, in God's grace, there'll be a lot of things, a lot of situations that we'll be able to be put in where God will be victorious and be victorious through us. But if we're able to avoid those situations, that makes far better sense than an ambulance down in the valley. God will provide a way. I, I think of that one and then I think of 1 Corinthians 10, 13. For my ambulance down in the valley. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above yet that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. That's, that's the fence. That's the fence. Sometimes we go right up to it, plant both feet right in front of it, grab a hold of it, and hop over. And other times we don't get near it. We understand, okay, I'm, I've got an issue here. When we're planting our hands, planting our feet and putting our hands on that fence, that's when we need to pray, God, show me the way of escape. Lord, help me. God, I'm afraid I'm going to mess up again. Would you please, would you please help me? If I, if I had a nickel for every time I recited that verse um, and needed to recite it, and then if I had a nickel for every time that I should have recited it and failed, I'd probably have more money out of the second one than the first one. There goes the treasurer talking about money again. Um, I had one more scripture that I wanted to point us to. Oh, a simple one. Proverbs chapter 3. And we'll close with this. Proverbs chapter 3. And verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge him. And here's that, that fear killer again. He shall direct your paths. Amen. Praise God. Let's stand for a moment, please. I appreciate you uh, being here tonight. I'm, I'm sorry that I kept you into the rain. Um, as we pray to close tonight, let's pray that the rain moves west a little bit more, at least for 10 or 15 minutes while we get to our cars and head home. Do you believe God could do that? Absolutely, I believe that. And I'll still believe it even if I get drenched when I go out to my car. Amen? John, you got something we can... I've been on... The mountain with Jesus, and I've been in the valley so low.
But not one time has he failed.